the legendary Norse figure Ragnar Lothbrok, a semi-mythical Viking hero, king and explorer, continues to captivate the imagination of people around the world with his daring exploits and larger-than-life persona. One of the most intriguing aspects of his legacy lies in the profound impact he had on his sons. Through his actions, beliefs and teachings, Ragnar Lothbrok shaped the destinies of his many sons, which would have a profound effect on the lands they would invade. Ragnar's legacy continues to endure through the actions and personas of his sons, showcasing the lasting impact a legendary figure can have on the shaping of history. Ragnar's seaborne expeditions had taken him as far north as Finland and some areas in Russia. Legends record he ventured to Paris, raided in the Hellespont and beyond. These raids had made Ragnar perhaps one of the most famous Vikings in history. Countless stories in the sagas exist of Ragnar's exploits, from avenging his grandfather to slaying kings and mythological creatures and dueling warrior champions alongside his many sons. These are just some of the tales surrounding this legendary figure. However, many warriors meet their end, and Ragnar would underestimate King Ella of Northumbria, and he attacked the English king, but his Viking fleet was captured. Ragnar, being one of the most famous and feared Viking kings of the age, was ceremonially executed by being thrown into a snake pit, where he was eaten alive. His end was described in the Gesta Denorum. Thus, a most glorious conqueror died a prisoner, a lesson that no man should put too much trust in fortune. Ragnar's death would have a profound impact on the divided land of England, as his sons were coming to avenge him. The Ragnarsons would band together and bring a force to England that had not been seen since the time of the Romans, over 800 years before. This is the story of the Ragnarsons and their exploits, and how the death of their father would bring them together for a time. Ivar the Boneless, born Ivar Ragnarsson, was the son of the legendary king and warrior Ragnar Lothbrok, and his mother was the seer named Auslog. He was born sometime in the 9th century. His parents were two legendary figures in Scandinavian history, so Ivar would need to be great in order to carve out his own legacy, distinguishing himself from his father Ragnar and legendary grandfather Sigurd, who was said to have slain the dragon Fafnir. According to Ragnar's saga, Ivar's bonelessness was the result of a curse. His mother, Auslog, was Ragnar's second wife and had the powers of sorcery and foresight. She warned her new husband that they must wait for three nights before consummating their marriage, but Ragnar was overcome with lust and did not heed her words. The saga says, Three nights together, but yet apart, shall we bide, nor worship the gods as yet? From my son, this would save a lasting harm, for boneless is he thou wouldst now beget. Ivar's nickname was Ivar the Boneless. No historical sources directly tell us why he was called that. However, there are some explanations, and these include 
that the Vikings were well known for their ironic nicknames. So Ivar could have been a huge Viking, over 6 foot 5, perhaps even close to 7 foot, with obviously huge bones. Another simple explanation is that he may have been double jointed, and the last is that he may have been born with weak bones, as in Ragnar's saga, it is said that Ivar was unable to walk and had to be carried everywhere. His name may stem from the Latin for hated, as he was hated by Christians all over Britain, as he was said to torture them to death if they did not denounce their faith. However, his curse may have been a number of things, for example, his hatred for Christians and his wicked ways towards them, his weak bones, or maybe something completely different. Ivar's first challenge in life occurred when he was still a boy. His father Ragnar had amassed many enemies on his military campaigns, and Saxo Grammaticus wrote, The Jutes and Scanians were kindled with an unquenchable fire of sedition. They disallowed the title of king to Ragnar, and gave a certain Harald the sovereign power. Ragnar, thinking himself destitute of all resources, took to borrowing help from folk of every age. He crowded the strong and the feeble all together, and was not ashamed to insert some old men and boys among the wedges of the strong. So he first tried to crush the power of the Scanians in the field. Here, he had a hard fight with the rebels. Here too, Ivar the Boneless answered his father's call to war. Although he was in his seventh year, he fought splendidly and showed the strength of a man in the body of a boy. This was the first time Ivar distinguished himself in battle. The rest of Ivar's childhood isn't recorded in history. However, later in Ivar's life, once he was a man, Ragnar took him as a guide since he was acquainted with the country of York. Here, he disembarked his forces, and after a battle which lasted three days, he crushed King Ella's forces. He and the remainder of his army then retreated. The affair cost much blood to the English, and very little to the Danes. After, Ivar accompanied his father Ragnar and his brothers to Ireland. Then they slew King Melbrick, besieged Dublin, which resulted in their surrender and took all of their wealth. Ivar was quickly learning from his father Ragnar what it meant to be a Viking. However, tragedy would strike. Ragnar Lothbrok would be captured and killed by King Ella and was thrown into a pit of snakes. Ivar would then think of nothing but revenge to appease his father's spirit. Ivar knew that King Ella would need to die by his hand. As well as being a battle-hardened warrior, Ivar was also incredibly clever, and he chose to be cunning rather than bold, and tried a shrewd trick on King Ella. Begging for a pledge for peace, he asked for a strip of land, and he gained his request, for King Ella supposed that it would cost little, and thought himself happy that so strong a foe begged for a little favour instead of a great one. Ivar also swore never to wage war against King Ella, but Ivar's blood feud meant much more to him than his word to a Saxon king. Ivar would slowly gather his strength on his new land unopposed, 
and would then surround York and take it as his own. Ivar now had a base on the mainland, which would prove advantageous to his plan. Meanwhile, while Ivar was amassing his army in the shadows, his brothers came up with a fleet of 400 ships, and with open challenge, declared war against King Ella. They did this at the appointed time. Ivar would meet up with his brothers, for revenge had brought them together. This was the greatest Viking army to set foot on England, and they became known as the Great Heathen Army, who were personally led by Ivar and his brothers. Ivar and his brothers had bided their time in their fortress. They then decided to march north to invade Northumbria. The Great Heathen Army would again sack York to provoke King Ella into engaging the Vikings. Under Ivar's plan, the Vikings feigned retreat, which caused the Northumbrians to give chase. This allowed the army of King Ella to be encircled, which led to a mass slaughter. The Sons of Ragnar were said to have fought with a trance-like fury, perhaps even being in the state of the Berserker. Ivar and his brothers were able to capture King Ella alive, and they would rejoice, for they had something sinister in store for the king that had killed their father. Ivar and his brothers ordered that King Ella be ritualistically executed by using the Blood Eagle. The flesh on his back would be cut open with a knife, exposing his ribcage. The ribs would then be broken in order for his lungs to be pulled out, forming a wing-like shape hence the name Blood Eagle. Ivar and his brothers would then rejoice, as they had just crushed their most ruthless foe. They would then bask in each other's tales of glory and triumph. King Ella was dead, and Bjorn and Sigurd went back to their own kingdoms. The great heathen army had just taken the ancient kingdom of Northumbria, and Ivar would install a puppet ruler named Egbert, who would act as a glorified tax collector to further fund the army's invasions. According to the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, Ivar's great heathen army moved south from York in the year 868 and set up its winter quarters in Mercia at Nottingham. The Vikings' arrival there marked the first recorded threat to the heartlands of Mercia. King Buchred of Mercia sent for help from King Ethelred of Wessex and his brother Alfred, who would later be known as Alfred the Great. The combined armies of Mercia and Wessex assembled before the Danish position. Ivor realised that he was outnumbered, and could not hope to win a pitched battle. He instead used his cunning once again, and secured a peace. This proved to be the Treaty of Nottingham. Henry of Huntingdon, writing almost 250 years later, described Ivar's response. Ivar then, seeing that the whole force of England was there gathered, and that his host was the weaker, and was there shut in, betook himself with smooth words, cunning fox that he was, and won a peace and troth from the English. He then went back to York, and abode there for one year with all cruelty. Under the cover of this peace, Ivar crossed into Mercia with his army and his brother, Arboragnason, but his aim was to subdue the Kingdom of East Anglia. According to Abbo of Fleury's Life of St Edmund, 
This is what transpired once the Viking forces entered East Anglia. Ivar suddenly invaded the country just like a wolf and slew the people, men, women and innocent children. Soon afterward, he sent to King Edmund of East Anglia a threatening message that he should submit to his allegiance if he cared for his life. The messenger came to King Edmund and boldly announced Ivar's message. Ivar, our king, bold and victorious on land and sea, commands that you share your hidden gold hoards and give your ancestral possessions to him and that you shall be his vassal king. If you want to stay alive, since you don't have the forces that can resist him, Edmund responded, Never in this life will Edmund submit to Ivar the heathen war leader, unless he first submits himself to the saviour Christ. The great heathen army then, under the command of Ivar, decimated Edmund's forces in an unnamed battle near Thetford. Edmund would allegedly survive the battle and returned to his hall to await the coming of Ivar the king and warlord. King Edmund, against whom Ivar advanced, stood inside his hall. The impious one then bound Edmund and had him beaten with rods. He was afterwards whipped. In between the whiplashes, Edmund called out with true belief in the Saviour Christ. Because of his belief, because he called to Christ to aid him, the heathens became furiously angry. They then threw spears at him as if it were a game, until he was completely covered, resembling the bristles of a hedgehog. When Ivar saw that the noble king would not forsake Christ, but with resolute faith called after him, he ordered Edmund beheaded, and the heathens did so. While Edmund still called out to Christ, the heathen dragged the holy man to his death, and with one stroke, struck off his head. Ivar wanted to test King Edmund's faith, to see if his god would intervene to save the king. Edmund's brother Edwald fled to Dorset and became a hermit due to the fear Ivar had installed in the country. He abandoned his royal bloodline. Thus, Ivar put an end to the East Anglian royal dynasty. King Edmund of East Anglia had just been ceremonially killed now known to history as Saint Edmund the Martyr. His story became legend as he refused to become a puppet king for Ivar and didn't denounce his god in face of certain death. The English chronicler and monk Simeon of Durham wrote of Ivar's reign of terror. Far and wide it destroyed churches and monasteries with fire and sword. When it departed from place to place, it left nothing standing but roofless walls. Ivar then returned to York, leaving the Viking army under the joint control of his brothers, Halfdan and Ubba. In the year 870, Ivar's brothers sued for peace in England. Ivar, however, could not stay idle, and he then went to Scotland and waged war. In this venture, he was joined by Olaf the White. It was a joint attack, Olaf sailing up the Clyde with a large fleet of dragon-headed longships, and Ivar would head northwest from York. 
they met at Dumbarton Rock, a fortress of the Britons and the ancient capital of the Strathclyde Kingdom. The stronghold had, over the years, successfully resisted the attacks of the Picts, the Scots and the Angles. However, according to the annals of Ulster, Ivor and Olaf besieged the fortress for 40 days until its water supply ran out. Ivar would then pillage the castle. The annals of Ulster record that once the siege had ended, many prisoners were transported to Dublin to be sold into slavery, as at this time, Dublin was a leading slave market in Europe. After this, Ivar once again made his way to Dublin and was known as the King of the Norsemen of all Ireland and Britannia, also being the King of Dublin. Ivar was a walking legend just like his father, the killer of kings and the bane of royal bloodlines, but he could never settle to rule. He always needed more, another kingdom and another adventure. In the year 871, Ivar arrived back in Dublin, where he remained as King of the Northmen of all Ireland and Britain, until his death in the year 873. The reason of his death remains unknown, but many speculate it was due to his curse. Ivar would establish his dynasty of the Uayamer, and would forge a legacy and repute that would last a millennia. Ivar took his contingent of the Great Heathen Army, and forged a kingdom encompassing Dublin, the Isle of Man, the Western Isles, Orkney, and large parts of the northern and western Scottish coast. The Ivar dynasty, or descendants of Ivar, would go on to be the most powerful Viking clan in Britain for a time. According to legend, Ivar's body was brought back to England at his own request, and was buried on the coast to act as a talisman to prevent further conquests of his kingdoms. 13th century Icelandic sagas describe William the Conqueror's actions. He went to the burial site and broke the mound and saw that Ivar's body had not decayed. William had a large pyre made upon which Ivar's body was burned. After burning the warrior's body, William, himself a descendant of the Viking chieftain Rollo of Normandy, went on to conquer all of England allegedly breaking Ivar's curse on the land. Ivar the Boneless destroyed the last Britonic kingdom in Scotland, consisting of ancient people of the Celtic language who inhabited Britain from the Iron Age. He also ended the line of the kings of Northumbria and East Anglia. Ivar's legacy lives on in both history and popular culture. Halfdan was a key player during the time of the Great Heathen Army and their conquests of most of England. However, there is one issue with the tale of Halfdan. Many sources mention a son of Ragnar named Vitsuk, who accompanied his brothers to England. Due to Halfdan and Vitsuk not being mentioned in any of the same sources, many historians believe that they are in fact the same person and that Vitsuk was perhaps a nickname of Halfdan. Regardless, we will explore all sources regarding the life of Vitsuk and Halfdan, assuming they were indeed the same person. First, let's look at Vitsuk according to the Gesta Danorum. According to this source, Vitsuk was the son of Ragnar Lothbrok, 
a legendary king and raider, and his mother was a woman named Swangola. Ragnar, being a man of action, prepared an expedition to the Hellespont and summoned an assembly of Danes. He would take many of his sons, and Fitzip would be one of them. The young warrior would go with his battle-hardened father and some of his brothers to the other side of the known world, where the sun shone brighter and where the sea was clearer. According to the tale, Ragnar and his forces subdued the armies of the Hellespont, but their king had married off his daughter to the Russian king in hope of an alliance. Ragnar would soon face the Russians and their boundless army, but he and his sons would overcome their forces. Vitsuk and his father also overcame the forces of the Scythians, who were an ancient nomadic people. Vitsuk had fought well, and had distinguished himself in battle. Ragnar would reward him with a province that they had already taken, but a deal had been made where Vitsuk would need to share the land with the king of the Russians. Once Ragnar's army had finished in the Hellespont, he and his army returned to Scandinavia, as did Vitsuk. After a time, Vitsuk would come to rule over Sweden. However, much of the events of how this came to pass have been lost. Many warriors and Jarls wished to govern Sweden, and they would plot against Vitsuk. One day, the Jarl named Daxo would prepare his army, but he would disguise it as a large trading community. He would then ride on the city in which Vitsuk resided. Daxo would ride into the city under the pretense of being a trader, and Vitsuk would receive him with hospitality. Just as the disguised army arrived into the city, they would leap out of their wagons and carriages that weren't full of goods but were full of warriors. Vitsuk, being a warrior through and through, slew many men and couldn't be killed. He was soon surrounded by a heap of enemy corpses, but many of his own personal warriors were captured in the fight. Twelve of his men were captured, and they were given their freedom, but instead, they gave up their lives for their king and chose to share the dangers of their leader, Vitsuk. Daxo was moved by this gesture from his warriors, now knowing that Vitsuk was a worthy king. So Daxo offered Vitsuk his daughter in marriage, but the dowry would be half of his kingdom. Of his own will, Vitsuk embraced the sentence of doom. Daxo then promised that Vitsuk could choose how he wanted to die. Vitsuk said he wanted to be bound and burned alive with his warrior companions. Daxo obliged him, and by way of kindness, granted him the end that he had chosen. Now, let's look at Vitsk according to the tale of Ragnar and his sons, which have a completely different story. Ragnar would marry Oslog, the daughter of Sigurd the Dragonslayer. Together, Ragnar and Oslog had four sons, Ivar the Boneless, Bjorn Ironside, Vitsuk, and Sigurd Snake in the Eye. When Ragnar's sons were fully grown, they went raiding far and wide. Ragnar's oldest sons were called Eric and Agnar. The brothers would conquer Zealand, Gotland, and Oland, and many other smaller islands in the sea. Vitsuk and his brothers 
would set their base in Zealand, where they would prepare for many raids and conquests. This, however, went against the will of their father Ragnar, but his sons would all crave war, wanting to become as famous as their father, but this would ultimately lead to their downfall. Ragnar's sons had essentially turned against him, and were taking his tributary lands against his will. To combat this, Ragnar set up a man called Eystein Beli as the king of Upper Sweden, to hold the realm from his sons. Eirik and Agnar, however, would sail to Sweden on their dragon-headed longboats. Hearing news of this, Eystein would consult the Swedish chieftains, and would raise an army to defend the land from Ragnar's bloodthirsty sons. Eirik and Agnar's army would clash against Eystein's, and a great battle would ensue, but Ragnar's sons were overwhelmed by superior numbers. Their troops were completely slaughtered to a man. Agnar would be slain in battle, and Eirik was captured. Eirik said he no longer wished to live after such a defeat. He asked Eystein to kill him, and his dying declaration was, Send word to my slender, sweet stepmother. Tell her all my rings are hers. My brother's anger will grow when she brings the bounteous news of my demise. Oslo would receive the news of both of her stepson's death, and she would weep blood. She then told her sons, If you lot had fallen, they would not let you go forgotten. Witzig would answer, Let's plan before vowing how vengeance might be managed. Various vile torments await for Agnar's killer. King Eystein would hear word of the coming vengeance of Ragnar's sons, and raised an army with every man of fighting age who was in the realm. Ivar Bjorn and Vitsuk would raise their own army, and when the two sides met, a climactic battle ensued. Rage and retribution would make them fight with a trance-like fury. The sons of Ragnar were in the thick of the fighting, and slew many men that day. Eystein's forces were dwindling, and they were eventually beaten, and a mass slaughter followed. King Eystein would fall, thus making the sons of Ragnar even more famous. Ragnar would go to England and would wage war against King Ella of Northumbria. The great king and warrior that was Ragnar would get captured, however, and he was then executed by being thrown into a pit of snakes. Once again, the sons of Ragnar would need to avenge another family member, but this time, it was the most celebrated Viking of all time, their father Ragnar. Vitsuk and his brothers would make their way to England, having amassed a huge army, which would later be known to history as the Great Heathen Army. Together, the Ragnarsons overran the Kingdom of Northumbria, and killed King Ella. They had him killed with the ritualistic execution that was the Blood Eagle, to humiliate King Ella, just as he humiliated Ragnar. They wanted him to suffer by sacrificing him to the gods with a vengeful slow death, appeasing Ragnar's spirit. After Ragnar had been avenged, Vitsuk went raiding in many lands, including England, Normandy, and France. The furthest he got was the town of Luni in northern Italy. 
Witzig even considered going to Rome, but decided against it due to the great tales he had heard on his travels of the ancient city of old, where strange gods had once ruled and had allowed the warriors there to conquer the world. Witzig had raided far and wide. He had been to the Hellespont, had fought the Russians, Scythians, Italians, French and the English, and he and his brothers were the most famous men in all lands where Norse was spoken. Once the sons of Ragnar returned to Scandinavia, they divided up their lands, and Witzuk would rule many regions, including Wendland. However, according to Anglo-Saxon sources, following the conquest of East Anglia and Northumbria, Ivar the Boneless would take many of his warriors north, and would disband from the great heathen army. In the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, Witzuk would be referred to as Halfdan. After Ivar went north, Halfdan would take command of the great heathen army, and according to the Chronicle, his army battled with the West Saxons nine times, including the Battle of Ashdown. On the 8th of January, in the year 871, Halfdan divided his forces into two contingents, one under himself and the other under his earls. They were facing Prince Alfred, who would later be known to history as Alfred the Great, and his older brother, King Ethelred of Wessex. Prince Alfred led his forces into battle, and both sides would form a shield wall. King Ethelred of Wessex did as any king should, and led the charge up the hill towards the Vikings. The battle was fierce, with many warriors dying on both sides, but eventually, the Saxons would take the victory. Halfdan, however, was still at large, having escaped the battle. Just two months later, there was another battle known as the Battle of Merton. According to the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, there was a great slaughter on both sides, and the Vikings had possession of the battlefield. The warrior priest, Bishop Haomund, would fall. One month later, King Ethelred would die from the wounds inflicted on him in the battle. Halfdan was now one step closer to conquering the entirety of England. Halfdan and the Great Heathen Army fought nine consecutive battles against the West Saxons, but they just wouldn't submit. So Halfdan would accept a truce with their newly crowned king, Alfred. This would lead to a fragile peace, but Halfdan's goals were still taking the whole land. Halfdan and the Great Heathen Army then took control of London and would winter there. During this period, coins were made bearing the name Halfdan, identifying him as the army's leader and king. The Vikings would bide their time there until the year 874, where they conquered Mercia and deposed of their king. King Buchred was driven into exile and was replaced with the puppet regent Seowulf. Following this great victory, the Great Heathen Army would again split. Guthrum would head south to continue the fight against Wessex, and Halfdan would go north to fight against the Picts and Britons of Strathclyde. Halfdan would then conquer Dublin and kill Aistain Olafsson, its king. Halfdan's brother, Ivar the Boneless, had ruled the city prior to his death in the year 873, and Halfdan wanted to regain his brother's lost kingdom. 
However, Halfdan didn't remain in Ireland for long, and in the year 876, he returned to Northumbria and was crowned as the King of Jorvik, which can be translated into Scandinavian York. This would end the rule of puppet kings in the north, and Halfdan was the first Ragnarsson to be crowned king in English lands. Halfdan's reign in Dublin wasn't secure though, and he was deposed while he was ruling in York. Upon hearing of this, he was furious. He returned to Dublin to try to recapture the city in the year 877. Halfdan wouldn't be fighting the Irish however, as Dublin was a Viking city at the time, and his nephew Bardur Iverson, the son of his brother Ivar the Boneless, would claim the throne for himself. In this venture, Halfdan finally met his end, dying in Ireland and losing the Battle of Strangford Lau against his nephew Bardur. After a lifetime of war, Halfdan met his end against his own blood. So in the Gesta Danorum, Vitsuk died in Sweden. In the tale of Ragnar's sons, it says he ruled Wendland after all his adventures. And if Halfdan is indeed the same person as Vitsuk, then according to the Anglo-Saxon accounts, he was slain in Dublin. His achievements were legendary, sailing to the Hellespont, fighting the Russians, Scythians, Irish, English, French and Italians. He was hailed as the King of Jorvik, he shared lands with the King of the Russians near the Hellespont, and was the King of Dublin for a time, and was the ruler of Wendland. His legacy has been cemented, as he was the first documented King of Jorvik, transforming the land forever. The story of Ubba is set at the height of the Viking Age in the 9th century. First, let's look at his ancestry and early life. Ubba's father was the legendary king and raider, Ragnar Lothbrok. Ragnar was famed all over the North Sea, due to his status as a warrior king. Renowned warriors and women alike would naturally flock to him, due to his fame and position. He would lay with an unnamed peasant woman, who he had fallen in love with, and would court her father Esbern by inviting him to banquets and being kind to him. The unnamed woman would soon give birth to a son, and Ragnar named him Abba. Once Abba was a grown man, his father Ragnar would prepare for an expedition to the Hellespont, the waterway that forms a boundary between Asia and Europe. Ragnar would summon an assembly of Danes, and Abba would answer his father's call to war, and the two would be united. According to the Gesta Danorum, Ubba and his father Ragnar would go through much together while they were raiding. Firstly, they would subdue the king of the region by the Hellespont, called King Dia. King Dia, however, had an alliance with the Russian king, and when Ragnar saw his boundless army, he knew that facing them could mean certain death. Ragnar, instead of fleeing, came up with a plan to put horses on wheels which essentially means he had them tied to chariots in order to break the enemy line. During the battle, the enemy line broke and the Vikings would create a mass slaughter on the Russians and their allies. During the battle, Ubba would fight with an indescribable fury, slaying all who came in his path. 
Bubba had now spent over five years raiding and roving alongside his father and other Viking forces. He had now proven himself as a military veteran and a savage warrior. When Ubba came home, he had changed remarkably. Having seen much of the known world, he had a completely different view on life, having seen many different lands and kingdoms, and he knew the only way to attain anything was through acquiring power. He would meet up with his grandfather Esbern, who tried to convince Ubba to take the throne of his father Ragnar. Abba would listen to this poison being spewed in his ear and would give in to his selfish desires. He would now envision himself with a crown on his head. Esbern would try to bribe the Earls of Sweden to desert Ragnar and join his cause, but it was to no avail. Word of this treachery would soon reach Ragnar. He travelled to where Esbern resided, confronted him and then slew him himself. He then cut off his head and set it on the prow of his ship, a message to all would-be traitors. Ubba would flee, but would soon re-emerge with a considerable amount of warriors loyal to him. Ubba would wage war in Zealand against his father's forces. Ragnar, an experienced military commander and being unmatched in combat, would quickly break Ubba's ranks and begin assaulting his forces from all sides. Abba, however, couldn't be killed. He slew so many of the enemy warriors that he was surrounded by a pile of corpses by the time he was overwhelmed by the thickening masses of the enemy. He was then captured. After the battle, Ragnar and Abba would have an emotional reconciliation, and Abba would be restored to his ancient favour as one of the sons of Ragnar. Abba then disappears from history until he set sail for England with thousands of Vikings after he had heard the news of the death of his father in Northumbria. Ubba had one goal, to avenge his father and make England burn. During this time, the fragmented land of England was dominated by four major kingdoms, Northumbria, Mercia, East Anglia and Wessex. The Vikings would sail to England in the mid-9th century. According to the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, a massive force of heathens would winter in East Anglia. They would gain valuable intelligence and resources, until they struck the Kingdom of Northumbria in the year 867, where they killed King Ella. Ubba and his brothers were cunning and resourceful. Knowing the Saxons would be a lot harder to control under their direct rule, they would implement a puppet king called Egbert as the king of Northumbria. However, he was just a glorified tax collector who would fund the further invasions of the English kingdoms. It was really the remaining sons of Ragnar who really ruled, Abba, Sigurd, Ivor and Bjorn, and Halfdan. The brothers would hold the north of England and would slowly turn it into Daneland. However, Bjorn Ironside and Sigurd Snake in the Eye would leave the English shores after they had avenged Ragnar and their mission was now complete. But Ivar, Ubba and Halfdan would remain. In the year 869, the Kingdom of East Anglia was then conquered by the Great Heathen Army. Ubba and his brother Ivar would have King Edmund at their mercy and slew him, turning him into a martyr 
he would then be remembered to history as Saint Edmund. The Vikings would establish another puppet king called Oswald to rule over East Anglia. Two of the four great English kingdoms had now fallen to the great heathen army. After this, Ivar would disappear from English history and would go north. Thus, several war bands within the great heathen army split and Ubba would command his own force of men. For a year, the great heathen army would then campaign against the West Saxons. Afterwards, they would attempt to conquer Mercia. Much of it would be conquered. The Vikings now held the whole north of the country and a large part of Mercia. Wessex alone was resisting. In the year 875, the great heathen army invaded Wessex and seized Wareham. Wessex had just fallen. Ubba would sail from Wales, where he wintered and landed on the coast of Devon. Upon landing, the Vikings discovered that the Saxons had taken refuge in a stronghold called Kernwit. This would culminate in the Battle of Kernwit in the year 878. Ubba's tactic was to wait until the warriors inside surrendered through a lack of food or water, but Odda, the Elderman of Devon, knew Alfred was in exile. His situation was desperate. According to Brother Asser, the West Saxons would burst outside of the fortress one day at dawn and were able to overwhelm the Viking forces and kill over 800 men. Ubba, the son of Ragnar, was amongst the fallen. The Saxons even captured Ubba's raven banner, which was thought to be magical and imbued with evil powers of pagan idols. With Ubba's death and the fragmentation of the great heathen army, Alfred the Great would soon re-emerge from his exile and unite southern England to retake his own lands. Ubba was the last Ragnarsson alive on British soil and his death emboldened the Saxons under Alfred the Great, the King of Wessex, enough for him to defeat the new leader of the great heathen army, Guthrum. Against all the odds, Alfred would take his kingdom back and start a dynasty that would last for generations and unite the fragmented land into one kingdom, although this wouldn't happen for many years until the reign of his grandson, Ethelstan. Ubba's legacy extends beyond historical accounts. His character has become a fixture in modern popular culture with depictions in literature. Ubba is remembered as a charismatic warrior figure who was renowned for his legendary fighting skills. Sigurd Ragnarsson, otherwise known as Sigurd's Snake in the Eye, was a semi-legendary Viking warrior and Danish king. Many Scandinavian kings trace their ancestry to Sigurd, using his mother's ancestry to try and claim divine descent from Odin. First, let's look at his forebears. Sigurd's father was the legendary warrior and king Ragnar Lothbrok, but his mythical and magical blood would come from his mother Auslog, who was a sorceress and a seer. You see, Sigurd's name would tie into the deeds of his grandfather on his mother's side. Oslog's father was also called Sigurd, who would become a legend across Scandinavia and the Germanic regions by slaying the dragon Fafnir, by laying in a pit and stabbing it in the heart from underneath it. According to the saga of Ragnar Lothbrok and his sons, 
Oslog would say to Ragnar, You know that I am with child. It will be a male child that I have, and a snake will lie within the boy's eyes. I want the boy to be called after my father, as within his eye will be the mark of glory. Oslog would soon after go into labour, and after the boy was born, he would be laid on the lap of Ragnar's cloak. When Ragnar saw the boy, he would speak a verse. Sigurd the boy will be called. He will conduct himself in battle much like the father of his mother, after whom he is called. Thus will the greatest of Odin's race be named the Snake-Eyed One, and he will bring much death. The snake in the eye that was attested to Sigurd's name was a physical characteristic. He was born with a mark in his eye, describing the image of an Ouroboros. This ancient symbol depicts a serpent or dragon eating its own tail. In Norse mythology, the Ouroboros appears as the serpent Jurmundur, one of the children of Loki. This serpent grew so large that it could encircle the whole world. It's very similar to the biblical Leviathan, being a singular creature with no mate, its tail placed in its mouth and encompassing the whole world. The serpent can also symbolise the transmigration of souls. This genetic or mythical trait is unheard of and is no doubt attested to his magical mother and legendary ancestry. It has been suggested that the mark in his eye refers to the eye condition known as nystagmus, but this cannot be verified. Sigurd would be born in the early 9th century, but we do not have an exact date. As a boy, Sigurd was already rash and bold. Being a lot younger than his brothers Ivar and Bjorn, he would miss out on fighting alongside his brothers, but would still speak his mind. In the saga of Ragnar Lothbrok and his sons, when Sigurd was just a boy, his half-brothers Eric and Agnar were killed by the Swedish king Eystein Beli. Sigurd's mother Oslog was distraught, even though they were not her children. She cried blood and asked her sons to avenge their dead brothers, as that was the Viking way. But the Swedish king controlled Uppsala and a holy cow named Siblija, and Ivar the Boneless believed that the gods were on Eystein's side and feared the magic that ruled there. Ivar thought it unwise to attack Eystein, but a young Sigurd said they must fight, and his older brother Bjorn Ironside spoke a verse and said, Though little is said in speech, a man may turn over to vengeance in his heart, in his hawk's swift chest. We do not have a serpent, nor a shining snake in our eyes, but my brothers gladden me. Bjorn's verse conveys that Sigurd was special, as he was referring to him being unique by having a shining snake in his eye, and how he motivated his older brothers to fight, portraying his need for vengeance. After Sigurd's uplifting words, his brothers carried out their vengeance on Eystein. Once Sigurd was a man, he would become very close with his father Ragnar, and would go with him to raid in Scotland. Here alongside his father, Sigurd would have a taste of battle, and would slay many Scottish warriors. He was even named as the Earl of Pictland, due to his deeds on the battlefield. Sigurd had earned himself the position of Earl, through conquering alongside his father. He would grow restless however, 
and the adventurer and warrior in him longed to see distant and fabled lands. According to the saga of Ragnar Lothbrok and his sons, Sigurd and his brothers would go on an extremely dangerous voyage to the Hellespont, which is a waterway in southwestern Turkey. It seems the sons of Ragnar would stay in this part of the world for a considerable amount of time, raiding and pillaging. Eventually, Sigurd and his brothers would sail to a town called Luna, which resides in Spain. So Sigurd and his kin did travel far and wide. By this time, they had broken into many towns and castles, and were so famous that in the region there was no child, however young, that did not know the Ragnarsons' names. There was even talk of going to Romaborg, which can be translated to Rome. However, the brothers knew that this endeavour could end badly, as they had heard great stories of the ancient kingdom. So they decided against it, and would instead raid minor towns for guaranteed wealth. In due course, the sons of Ragnar would leave the Mediterranean, and would sail home to Scandinavia, but their actions had made them famous. Ragnar would try to compete with his sons by conquering Northumbria with two ships, and the impossible odds allowed him to get captured and then killed. The tidings of Ragnar would soon reach his sons, and Sigurd, upon hearing what had happened to his father, he cut himself to the bone with a knife that he held in his hand, making a blood oath. Sigurd and his brothers then swore that they would avenge their father by killing King Ella of Northumbria, the man that had executed their father Ragnar. In the year 865, Sigurd and his brothers would unite many of the Viking chiefs and clans under the banner of vengeance, as Ragnar was well loved and all wished to avenge him. They would soon set sail for England, and they would be known to history as the Great Heathen Army due to the devastation they caused. According to the Gesta Danorum, Sigurd and his brother Bjorn Ironside sailed to England together with a fleet of 400 ships and with open challenge, declared war against King Ella. Ivar, however, asked for land as compensation for the death of his father. King Ella would oblige him, as he saw this as a reasonable request. But this was all part of Ivar's masterful plan. He would begin building a small city with strong walls, and he also made alliances with all people in the country, especially the lords and leaders. Eventually, all the chiefs around pledged loyalty to him and his brothers. Meanwhile, Halfdan and Ubba would also answer Ivar's call to war. Once the armies had met, many of the Northumbrian earls abandoned King Ella and went over to the sons of Ragnar. King Ella then saw he was severely outnumbered. Battle would commence, and it was a complete slaughter, with most of King Ella's men perishing, while he himself was taken captive. He was then killed with the ritualistic execution known as the Blood Eagle. After the campaign in England, Sigurd would inherit many of his father's lands. Many Danes assembled and voted for Sigurd as the sovereign to receive Ragnar's empire. Once Sigurd became king, he was reported to have changed from a savage warrior into a man of leisure, having seen much war and would think and brood about his past victories and triumphs. 
Sigurd would end up marrying King Ella's daughter, Blaeja, and they would have a son called Harthacanut. His descendants would later become the kings of Denmark. They included Gorm the Old, Harold Bluetooth, Swain Forkbeard, and Canute the Great, who were arguably the most influential and powerful kings in the North Sea. In the Gestad Norum, it states, no foe would attack Sigurd when he was king, and that he had no enemies, suggesting a time of peace once he inherited Ragnar's empire. This would convey that he died due to natural causes, and not in war. This is why there is perhaps no record of his death. Sigurd's legacy is one of mysticism. However, he would also be the ancestor of many kings, such as Swain Forkbeard and Canute the Great, who would later take the land of England for themselves, completing what the Ragnarsons and the great heathen army could never do. Bjorn was born as Bjorn Ragnarsson, and he was the son of Ragnar Lothbrok and Oslog. Bjorn earned his name by coming to the aid of his father King Ragnar in battle, along with his half-brothers Friedleif and Radbard, who were all hardened warriors. When his father Ragnar met King Saul of Sweden, before the battle, Ragnar chose to settle the dispute the old way, in a fight to the death. King Saul, however, would not fight himself, and chose Starkerd as his champion, along with his band of seven sons to fight Ragnar. Ragnar chose his own sons to share the glory of the champion fight with him. The duel of warriors ensued in sight of both armies, and Ragnar and his sons emerged from the duel victorious. It is said that Bjorn inflicted a great slaughter on his foes, without taking any wounds. He then rallied his father's army, and gained the strengths of his side, which were like iron, giving him the name Ironside. Bjorn's battle prowess, and presence on the battlefield, emboldened his father Ragnar to attack and kill the enemy king, which led to his forces being obliterated. Ragnar then presented Bjorn with the Lordship of Sweden for his bravery in battle. Bjorn was later summoned to fight for his father Ragnar, along with his brothers. They then ravaged the territory of the Scots. Bjorn then went back to his own kingdom, and after many expeditions, he received tidings of his father Ragnar's death at the hands of King Ella, while he was playing a game of dice and it's said that he squeezed the piece so violently that he wrung blood from his fingers and it shed on the table. He then said, Fate is more fickle than this dice I'm throwing. Bjorn would then assemble a fleet of 400 ships and declared war against King Ella, thirsty for revenge. Bjorn and his brothers had summoned the great pagan army to avenge Ragnar and they smashed King Ella's forces in battle he was then captured. Bjorn and his brothers then ordered the execution of King Ella by Blood Eagle. During the process, they sorted the mangled flesh of the king and rejoiced as they had crushed their most ruthless foe. Bjorn then went back to his own kingdom and left his other brothers to govern and raid the rest of the English lands. Bjorn's most famous accomplishment was his semi-legendary raid into the Mediterranean, which began in around the year 860 AD. Following in his father's footsteps, 
Bjorn and his brother Witzuk raided northern France. However, at the end, instead of returning to Norway, upon hearing of the rich lands of the Mediterranean, Bjorn decided to venture onward. He raided the Spanish coast, all the way around Gibraltar, and all the way up into southern France, where he and his men spent the winter. In the summer of the following year, Bjorn proceeded on to the city of Pisa, which he duly sacked. Whilst in Pisa, Bjorn heard that the holy city of Rome lay within his reach, only a short journey inland. Aware of the riches that had been plundered from various abbeys in England and France, he anticipated the vast wealth that could be plundered from the central city of Christendom. Unfortunately for Bjorn, he had been misled as to how far away Rome actually was. When his army reached the town of Luna, they thought that they had reached Rome and began a siege. However, in Luna, the Vikings had found their match. Eager to get inside, Bjorn fabricated an incredible deceit. Bjorn sent a messenger to the Bishop of Luna, who reported a message that he had died, but had converted to Christianity on his deathbed and wished to be buried in consecrated ground inside the town. Not willing to deny Bjorn a Christian burial, the bishop gave permission for Bjorn's body to be brought in by a small honour guard. However, once his coffin was laid in the church, Bjorn astounded the assembled clerics by leaping from the coffin, after which he and his honour guard hacked a bloody path to the town gates, opening them and allowing his army to sack the town. Emboldened by this victory, Bjorn launched further raids into Sicily and North Africa, back to the Straits of Gibraltar. However, this time, the Arab rulers of Spain had anticipated his coming, and assembled a fleet against him. Bjorn's fleet was ravaged by the Saracen fleet, who bombarded the Vikings with Greek fire. Bjorn lost almost 40 ships, and the greater part of his loot but managed to escape back to Norway with enough plunder to live out the rest of his days as a rich man. On the death of Bjorn's father Ragnar Lothbrok, Scandinavia was split between Bjorn and his brothers. Bjorn inherited much of the Kingdom of Sweden, due to his champion fight alongside his father many years ago, where he founded the House of Munzo, which ruled over Sweden for several generations and would eventually become the ruling house of Denmark. The House of Munzo, known in Sweden as the Old Dynasty, took its name from the island where Bjorn Ironside was said to be buried. He was buried in a barrow, crowned by a stone with a runic inscription. His descendants would be the kings of Sweden. Bjorn forged a legendary dynasty by the sword and through conquest, being remembered as Bjorn Ironside as it was said he was favoured by the gods, allowing any army he commanded to gain the strength of iron, due to Bjorn's strength, determination and bravery. I hope you all enjoyed the video. If you did, make sure to like, subscribe and share, and I'll see you all soon for another History Profile.